Hello and welcome to What The Focaccia with me, Nikki Webster. And me, Bettina Campolucci-Bordi. Our podcast is all about sharing our passion for the things we eat, good food, responsibly sourced and sustainable, which is why we are so pleased that our lovely sponsor is Islands Chocolate. Islands Chocolate is a small British business that brings you the finest and tastiest multi-purpose chocolate directly from the Caribbean. You can see it all for yourself on the website, which is islandschocolate.com. And if you want to take your chocolate eating to a whole new level, then check out their Islands Chocolate Spotify playlists tailored to the mood of each bar taking you on a journey to tropical paradise while you indulge in some seriously fruity cocoa flavors i love that and they've kindly given us an exclusive discount just for you a lovely podcast listeners if you enter the code islands wtf at the checkout to get 15 percent off everything from islandschocolate.com so let's meet this week's guest today we're so happy to welcome guy sing watson the founder of riverford Guy started the business at Wash Farm in Devon in 1987 and has been growing organic veg there ever since. He started delivering to just friends and now it's an amazing national veg scheme delivering to over 50,000 people. Guy believes that organic should be for everyone and built Riverford to give a fair deal to all growers, staff, customers and for the planet of course and believes that business should be a force for good. I've had the great pleasure of working with your team before Guy and they are amazing and I absolutely love your ethos and of course the produce is absolutely amazing. Today we're going to be discussing the future of organic food and farming and Guy thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. For anyone, we've given you an intro but for anyone that doesn't know who you are, (laughs) how would you describe yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, Okay, I'm a tenant farmer's son from Devon. Um, Like most farmers, I have tendencies to being a bit grumpy. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, I'm a farmer who has reluctantly, I suppose, become a business person and and, uh, even more reluctantly and bizarrely a business that that is a kind of um, leader in its field, I suppose, of, um, you know, internet home or the internet delivered home delivery of, of food, uh, which is a long way from where I started with my little patch of leeks and Brussels sprouts 35 years ago. But I still like to call myself a farmer. You're still a farmer. I mean, was that your plan? Did you have sort of something in mind when you started or has it sort of grown naturally? Oh, I think as soon as I pulled on my first pair of wellies probably age two I, I always wanted to farm um i did flirt with different things um fairly briefly in my 20s but um i think it it's just you know i grew up on the land and that's just always what i wanted to do and where i wanted to be and i i uh, feel very impoverished if i'm <laughs> if i'm separated from it for too long i actually you know i think i'm really lucky to have found my thing and being able to follow it and make a business out of it I know that's not an opportunity that a lot of people get. Fantastic and you are a pioneer in in what you do and you started organic farming did you was it organic farming right from the get-go? Well it was uh, there was no legal definition of organic back in 1987 uh, and I did sort of waver a bit in the first year I thought I might grow I don't know, fancy vegetables for restaurants or something. But mm-hmm. and, and I suppose initially the motivation was that I thought there was a growing market. You know, even then we live in a very alternative area in South Devon near 
topness and I, I sensed that there was a growing market and I had spent the preceding two or three years as a management consultant for my sins where often you are looking for growth markets and so I guess initially I knew I wanted to get back to the farm and being outside and producing food I mean my whole family are pretty obsessed by farming but also by cooking actually uh, so I knew that's what I wanted to do and so I was looking around for opportunities ways to do that with a minimum of capital because having left the farm I would kind of renounced my claim to the family tenancy I have five siblings who and uh, I'm the uh, youngest of them so I've blown that so when I came back it had to be something that I could do on a small scale with very little capital and that seemed to fit the bill with vegetables and organic because it was a growing market and it was really over the first few years well no let's say it was over 35 years that I've just become more and more committed to growing organically and I just wouldn't want to do it any other way I mean when I see my neighbors spraying off their grass to grow maize as has been happening over the last year and and I see it progressively turning yellow as it's choked to death I, I kind of, um, I hope this doesn't sound too melodramatic, but I feel a kind of pain inside me. And, and mm. I just, I just, I, I just don't think I could farm like that anymore. I mean, I did spend my teenage years spraying my father's barley uh, and, you know, used lots of agrochemicals and spreading fertilizer. And, um, you know, I'm just very grateful that I never have to hook the tractor up to a sprayer these days. Definitely. And I think um, attitudinally people... I feel anyway, are far more um, interested and keen on buying organic these days. Have you noticed a real sort of shift in people's um, mindset? Um, probably not really, actually. I mean, over 35 years, the organic market has grown progressively. There's been peaks and troughs, but I don't really observe those changes in the attitudes of our, our customers. There's mm -hmm. an, a high level of trust around, you know, if you're if you're unhappy with how your food is produced um, or how it's distributed, how it's sold, how it's cooked, how it's processed, then, uh, you know, people have over the decades, you know, reached for organic as a solution. And now clearly it isn't a whole or complete or the only solution, but people have a level of trust in it, which I think is by and large justified, um, you know, and it has had that constancy over the decades where other things have, have come and gone because it is backed up by a legal definition and it's you know legally enforced what it is to farm organically and you know as i say i don't think it is the solution to all the world's food and farming problems but it's in my lifetime it's been the best show in town i suppose if you want a kind of verifiable legally enforceable farming system that stands for something i mean what does local mean I mean, you know, all the other terms, people, you know, does local mean you bought it from a local wholesaler, but it's been air freighted from Kenya? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what some people refer to as local. You know, it's, um, you know, there is actually a legal definition of what organic means. And, and that's why I think it, it stands out and has earned the trust that it uh, enjoys. Absolutely. I think many people aren't sure whether to buy organic or not, and what the difference is between organic and non-organic grown food. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think in the perception of most people is that organic is food that's produced without the use of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. And that is broadly true. I think there are five pesticides we're allowed to use, um, you know, soap being one of them, 
Um, but it's it's rather a negative definition. It's not one that I like very much, actually. I, I you know I I view organic as farming in a way which is sympathetic with nature, trying to sort of learn from nature and trying to embrace ecology and and try to really understand what's going on on your farm and in in your fields and 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 try to control your pests and feed your crops by understanding the the you know the incredibly complex and subtle ecology that's going on you know both under the ground in terms of the soil the invertebrates the fungi and the bacteria and 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 try and get that working properly and above the ground making sure that you've got enough diversity enough flowering plants to encourage the predatory insects lace swings hoverfly um, ladybirds to a lesser extent that control a lot of uh, our insect pests, making sure that you know you understand what it is that makes your crops susceptible to fungal disease and 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 um, you know so really sort of understanding the ecology of your farm and trying to embrace that in within your farming system is is how I would much rather describe organic and and actually I think it's a much more contemporary definition really, but I know that it does all sound a bit wishy washy. Uh, so I guess it's easier to resort to the no chemicals, you know, uh, definition. Um, but I prefer a more positive definition. <laughs> well, it's just a little bit more complex than that, isn't it? Yeah, it's complex and it's great in the sense that it's it's about giving back to the soil, isn't it? Instead of <laughs> depleting it. Yeah, it, it it is. It's, well, you know, it's based on the... You know, the philosophy that we share this planet, I mean, not just with each other, but, you know, we share it with countless other organisms and it's our responsibility to to look after those. And I can't really understand anyone who thinks any other way. You know, if you're a Christian, surely that's what it says in the Bible. You know, if you're a reductionist economist, surely our, our future depends on it. So, yeah, that is, it is broadest terms I would say organic farming was actually almost a sort of philosophy for living actually I mean I know that's going way too far for most people and I wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't impose that definition on it makes sense makes sense to me anyway yeah well over 35 years that's how my thinking has kind of evolved and and probably in many ways to go quite a long way beyond or you know the legal definition of organic in terms of the standards so um, a question for you. So if people were only going to sort of buy a few things, organic, you know, some organic produce, is anything that you would recommend them purchase or, or never purchase non-organic aversion? Yeah, well, I guess I'm going to talk about um, fruit and vegetables because that's what I, I know about. I think probably the fruit, the things that you're going to eat, the whole, whole of it. I mean, fruit is generally very heavily sprayed. So I would say organic apples would be a good place to start. But then also salads, yep. um, you know, lettuces are sprayed with quite a lot of insecticide and, and fungicides. I mean, I guess the roots where you're going to, if you're going to peel a potato, I, I don't know, I find it a bit difficult to answer that question actually but i would i think fruits are probably the top of the list non-peeling fruits so you know apples pears and whatever maybe you yep. don't need to worry quite so much about an orange unless you're going to make marmalade with it yeah and, and strawberries i would say as well yeah all the berries i suppose yeah all the berries no i think that's really good it, i guess one needs to know you know what your reason for buying organic if it is you know just for yeah. The, yeah. the health of you and your family and those you're cooking for then i guess that answer holds up you know the ones that are exposing you to 
most pesticides. Yep. Though there are other nutritional benefits of, orga- of organic. I think crops that have been challenged, that have had a slightly harder life, um, will be higher in nutrients. So, you know, there's that uh, that argument as well. But the, the, the other reason that I, you know, I, which personally I feel much more strongly about is I, I, I do not want to spread agrochemicals around the countryside. You know, I really value birdsong and bees and, and so on. So it's not purely a selfish thing in terms of what you're eating. It's about protecting you know, the yep. ecology of our planet. I mean, I drove home last night um, through our village behind a tractor, which was emptying its sprayer on the road. I assumed that this was just the washings, it rinsed the sprayer, but it's still absolutely stank of pesticide. You know, I, don't, I just can't understand the mentality of any farmer who thinks that sort of behavior is acceptable in, you know, in 2021. I, I just found it completely bizarre. I blew my horn at him and he didn't stop. He just carried on and emptied the entire contents of his sprayer on the road. You know, I find that really, you know, deeply troubling. I suppose that, you know, any farmer could have that mindset. I suppose it's all about education. And and one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on this podcast is is to spread the message, but also the information and not sort of limited to, as you say, health. It's a whole movement. It's a whole lifestyle. Um, I think both Nikki and I don't find that wishy-washy at all. I think people need to delve in deeper in terms of how we consume things in general and how that impacts our planet, which uh, gets me to the next question, which is the word sustainable is the new buzzword at the moment. But I think it's used far too often and far too loosely and people don't really understand the meaning behind it. What are your thoughts on sustainability or the word sustainability? I think it's a dreadful word in the context that we live. I mean, sustainable is, you know, it's very clear what the meaning is that you can continue doing what you do forever in a way which, you know, without ruining the planet or other inhabitants of the planet. And, you know, that's clearly not true of almost everything that we do, including organic farming, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and I think until we actually accept that so much of what we're doing is, is not sustainable, you know, so you can be less damaging, you can be more environmentally friendly, but actually to say it's sustainable is just a lie, you know, and, and it's not a word that should be used, you know, with anything like the lightness that it, that it is. So, I th- and I think by using it, you know, we are, you know, we're just perpetuating a lie, which is that we can continue with more or less our style of living on this planet. And, and we just can't, you know, we need to drastically change uh, the way that we live and and you know some of those solutions will come through you know the technological fixes that you know many governments and businesses are so keen on but I, I personally feel very strongly that that will not solve all our problems and um, that you know we need to live less consumptive lifestyles we need to you know learn to enjoy you know simpler you know more local you know, a, 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 yeah, a less consumptive existence. And until we learn to do that, and a less, you know, a less selfish existence, until we learn to do that, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel terrible saying this, I've got five children, but I, I, you know, until we change that mindset, we are doomed. And I, you know, I find the, the assumption that market forces will solve all our problems, which is particularly prevalent with our government at the moment, it just depresses the hell out of me because I have no faith in market forces solving, you know, what are very complex and far-reaching problems. Well, I would, I would certainly agree with that. I mean, 
I think what people sometimes become a little bit overwhelmed with is how they can personally make a difference or what will make the most difference. And I, and I definitely sort of agree in terms of sort of consumption. But what are your thoughts on that, Guy? What would be your recommendations for someone if they really wanted to make a difference? I'm perhaps being a bit of a prophet of doom. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> but I'm aware of that. So, you know, one needs to be positive. And I, and I like to think that at Riverford that I'm not a whinging, moaning farmer, that if I do complain about something, I will generally put forward, you know, a solution. And, and, and I, you know, that's definitely the way to engage and bring about change. Just constantly harping about the problems is, is, is not, uh, not going to help. So, um, you know, so what can people do? Um, and it's very difficult as a consumer, but the most, uh, the clearest, I would think with the one can do in terms of diet, which I'm assuming that you're sort of focusing on, is to eat less meat and less animal products. I mean, I, I, you know, the evidence is overwhelming of the contribution of livestock to climate change and loss of biodiversity. I'm actually rather less convinced by the methane arguments, because, but that's a kind of mathematical thing that if, if we have a static number of ruminants, livestock on the planet, they are actually not contributing to climate change. But they are undoubtedly, there are lots of other reasons, you know, mainly because they are such an inefficient way of feeding ourselves. They require much more land. Um, that, that is contributing to deforestation, uh, you know, which is contributing to our, our land use change, which is contributing to uh, so much of uh, climate change. I know that there is an argument for eating grass fed lamb and beef on, you know, fed on land, which is, uh, no, you, you know, can't grow other crops. Um, a lot of it could be very effectively, um, you know, planted to trees and rewilded. I, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a vegan myself. I'm not a vegetarian. But on average, we eat uh, 1,600 grams of uh, meat in this country a week each. Uh, we need to cut that, you know, to a third, if not less. And I think that's a very doable thing. We will look back, the meat eaters will look back, you know, the people who are eating two kilos of meat or whatever a week, or will, well, they damn well should look back with shame on, on what they're doing, I think. Though, you know, I do, I know, you know, all my neighbours, my family are all livestock farmers, and I know there are arguments for high welfare grass-fed lamb and beef, but uh, I just, there's not enough to go around. <laughs> you know, we've just got to eat a lot, lot less of it. So if there's one clear thing that you could do, eat less meat and animal products. So I would include, you know, eggs and butter and cheese and milk uh, in that as well. Um, I think that's the biggest um, single thing you could do. And, and, and secondary to that is just, I, I, my argument would be to every time you, you know, attempted to buy some bit of crap wrapped in plastic, just just think about it twice. Do you really need it? What is it contributing to your, to your life? And just just try and live simpler lives with less stuff, particularly yeah. stuff that comes excessively packaged. You know, get on an aeroplane less often, mend things rather than buying a new one. Um, it, you know, and all those things can be, you know, can be very pleasurable. I don't think, you know, I know that to this sort of parsimonious self-denial is not an attractive message. But, you know, there's try and enjoy what's close to you, you know, what's immediate you know, try and enjoy mending things. And we are so much of what we consume is driven by someone making money out of selling us stuff that we that contributes nothing to our lives. And we would do well to, you know, question a lot of it. 
I think that's great advice, actually. Question what you consume. There's a Walt Whitman quote which I love, which is uh, question all that you've been told and discard what insults your soul. <laughs> I love that. That is brilliant. We've talked about organic farming and how you've been pioneering within that sector. Where do you see the future of organic farming in general? And what's the future for Riverford and, and for you? I, spe- I, I find it a, a little bit difficult to answer that question because I think organic farming has been effective by maintaining its kind of focus and where it's gone. And so the Soil Association 10 years ago went into a whole sort of campaign about peak oil and so on. And, and I, you know, I do think they should stick to their onions, the thing, you know, which is about how the soil is treated, essentially, and how animals are treated and, and, and farming practices, uh, and not try and be the answer to everything. Um, having said that, you know, I think there are prob- some problems with organic farming. And, and I find the one that pains me particularly on our farm is, is the excessive cultivation of the soil. In order to grow vegetables, they are weak annual crops, i.e. they have to be sown every year, which means that you have to destroy what was ever there before, create a seedbed and you know plant your, your crop, which is tremendously um, destructive in both to the soil, you know, you lose soil carbon, contributes to climate change, you damage all the organisms in the soil that you want to encourage, the fungi and the earthworms in particular. And you plant the crop and then you do it again for <laughs> the next crop. So I think we need to be looking for ways which are involved less soil disturbance. So, you know, gardeners might do that, you know, using raised beds. Um, and there are lots of organic farmers who are experimenting with kind of living mulches. So you don't have to, um, you know, totally destroy what's there. But, and, but the easiest way to dis- get our food with less soil disturbance is to try and change our diet so that we are more, we get more of our calories and protein nutrition from perennial crops, uh, crops that don't require cultivating the soil. So I, I put a lot of my effort in the, the sort of probably the later years of my farming career into, into perennial crops. So we started with artichokes and cardoons and rhubarb and over the last couple of years we've been planting a lot of nuts hazelnuts and walnuts and um, chestnuts this winter and i'm hoping to encourage other farmers locally to do that and set up a cooperative and uh, to process those nuts while still having animals grazing underneath within a sort of agroforestry system and that's something that I'm kind of become a bit obsessed about and, and at the same time really trying to introduce as much biodiversity into the farm as possible, um, which will change the whole kind of water catchment and uh, encourage much more wildlife. So I I suppose I just think farming, we need to think in terms of systems rather than single crops. So, you know, most of our neighbours are, they've become increasingly large scale dairy farms. That is factory farming, really. And all the smaller people who might have farmed more traditionally with you know, mixed farming systems have retired or gone to the wall. Their land has been rented or bought by large dairies in the village, you know, each of whom, you know, have many times more cows than my father would have milked. And they're growing lots of maize to do that, which is the worst crop possible. And I do find it very regrettable, all in order to produce milk a penny a litre cheaper. You know, it's just environmental madness. And I, I said earlier about, you know, expecting the market to find solutions to things. 
you know, the market is a very clumsy and blunt instrument and it is not fit for purpose in terms of you know coming up with a sensible farming and environmental policy for this country but we have a a, a government that is so utterly wedded to market economics that I'm not hopeful of it changing anytime soon. Not sure I answered the question there. <laughs> you did. <laughs> you definitely did. Excellent advice anyway and fascinating. So we um this is a question we ask everyone at the end of the podcast and you've already given us an amazing quote actually so maybe it's this but um what would you say is the best piece of advice anyone has ever given you yeah listen more and talk less was personally for my um, i've spent my life being a quite a poor listener i think so i think that has enabled me to be more effective in so many ways um you know within running a business but also to be a better parent actually you know so really um it probably applies particularly to the males of our species i suspect but um, <laughs> maybe listen a bit more and talk a bit less yeah i think that's excellent advice for everyone absolutely that's really good advice we are going to end the podcast with some very light-hearted quick-fire questions Guy, are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. I'm not good at the flippant stuff, but yeah, go ahead. Very, very easy. White milk or dark chocolate? Oh uh, yeah, dark usually. There is a, there's no, no I never, I never, I can't do simple answers. <laughs> it depends on the milk chocolate. <laughs> but anyway, there we go. Okay, crisps or chocolate? Another easy one. Well, it depends on the situation. It depends what I've been doing. It's ridiculous. I Butter or olive oil? Again, depends on the dish, doesn't it? Depends what you're cooking. There you are. I'm not giving you the cure. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do love butter, though. <laughs> too much. Too much there for my go. environmental credentials, probably. But you know, that's that's the truth. That's good. Uh, ketchup or mayo? Uh, I loathe both. Well, mayonnaise. I'm sorry. I'm going to sound like a complete snob here, but I loathe both of them unless I've made them myself. There we go. <laughs> I do That's eat great. ketchup sometimes. Good answer. I do well sometimes put some ketchup, but I always wish I hadn't. It, it doesn't improve anything. <laughs> Immediate regret. Yeah. Um, cake or pie? Again, depends on the circumstance. Depends whether I've got yeah, a glass of wine or a cup of tea in my hand, I suppose. Absolutely. Okay, only, only two more. French fries or cheese toasty? Uh, cheese toasty. <laughs> Uh, chocolate truffles or chocolate mousse? Um, yeah, probably chocolate truffles if they're really good ones. <laughs> yes, really good chocolate truffles hit the spot, don't they? <laughs> the flippant question torture is over. <laughs> <laughs> we, we appreciate you doing it. Thank you very much for listening to What The Focaccia. I hope you have enjoyed our food conversations and please do have a listen to the rest of the episodes to hear more brilliant stories about everything and anything to do with food. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Islands Chocolate. You'll find their proper hot chocolate in any girl's bakery and you can choose between 65% or 75% cocoa and have a girl's barista make a creamy high flavour hot chocolate for you. Don't forget, you can also get 15% off anything you order from their website which is islandschocolate.com just use the code islandswtf and that's islandswtf at the checkout and please do give us a five star rating if you've enjoyed the podcast it really does help spread the word and if you want to follow patina and myself you'll find us on instagram thanks so much for listening and we'll be back soon